I'll never forget the night in 1994 in Atlanta in the Georgia Dome that I had a chance to attend my very first Billy Graham crusade. And I'll never forget seeing the invitation being given and seeing hundreds and maybe even thousands coming to faith in Christ. I had a, an opportunity, and it wasn't by chance, I don't believe anything happens by chance, but I got a call at the church office when I was pastor in Georgia that a lady who knew me worked for a state representative. And there was a private meeting that was going to be held with Billy and Ruth Graham. And he had two tickets. And he was not able to go. I didn't even know this man. But he was offering those tickets to me and someone else. So uh, I took someone with me. I don't even remember who it was. And we went. And it was about 200 of us. We had a chance to meet in a room there in the Georgia Dome with, with he and Ruth Graham, his wife. And... Um, and for me as a pastor, it was one of those fire and love and respect. Um, and the one thing that I came away from that thinking was that this is just an ordinary man that God chose to use in an extraordinary way. Just a simple form boy from a dairy farm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And maybe other than, than the Apostle Paul, God has used him as much, if not more, than any other Christian to be influential to reach the masses. It is said that Billy Graham has spoken face-to-face -to, -face to 210 million people to present the gospel. And God honored his life and um, many of us, perhaps, are here because of that. My mother-in-law, when I first got saved, um, she uh, was a huge Billy Graham evangelistic um, organization supporter, and she had her own Billy Graham Bible, and a lot of her Bible studies and all of that came from that. And I, and I just think and wonder that, you know, my life, even our church, because of my mother-in-law's connection to that ministry and the influence that she had on Penny and how that has influenced my life and our children and you know how we do ministry today is tied back to the perhaps to even you know the work and the ministry of Billy Graham maybe so many of us can say that but the thing that I want you to think about before we go any further is that we honor the man but we worship the Savior that He preached. I have heard testimony after testimony from many who met with Him, from pastors to presidents to, you know, He constantly wanted to be known as just a regular person who was a sinner who needed saving. As a matter of fact, He is being buried in a wooden casket made by the prisoners at Angola State Penitentiary in Louisiana. Uh, Franklin Graham preached there one time and found out that they made coffins, very simple, out of plywood and, and, and pine. And he requested one for his mother when she passed away and also for, for his dad. A simple man with a profound message. <clears throat> And so in honor of him today, um, God has inspired me to preach a message uh, with just three simple points. We've titled the, the message in the series that we're preaching here, All In for 2018, The Demands of the Gospel. I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to Matthew chapter 19, and let's, let's stand together. Matthew 19, verses 16 through 30. The demands of the gospel, Matthew 19, verses 16 through 30. Now, before we start in verse 16, people were bringing little children to Jesus. He placed His hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them, and Jesus said, Let the little children come to Me and do not hinder them, 
For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. What he was saying was that in order for you and I to be able to go to heaven, we have to have the faith of a little child. And everyone who goes to heaven and who will be in heaven will have that spirit and that faith like a child. A child puts their trust and faith and in the same way they responded to God and that's the same way we're to do so. And so I want you to see what took place here before this encounter with this wealthy man. Because when you contrast their faith versus his, because when you contrast their faith versus his, you see the difference. Verse 16 says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? How can I earn eternal life? He was asking. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. Let me just stop you for a second. While you're reading the Gospels, Note how many times when a question was asked of Jesus, His answer was always a better question. I'll never forget, and Tommy, you may not remember this, Tommy Hines, where's Tommy at? He's, he's back there. Uh, Tommy was on the committee that brought me here, and he asked me a question in the meeting. And my answer to him was another question. And he said, I asked you a question, you're going to answer the question. That's what he said to me. And I said, I'm going to do just like Jesus. And I'm going to ask you a better question. And ever since then, he fell in love with me. But anyway, <clears throat> he's still here. So, so Jesus said, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied. Now, now, now here's what I want you to see. Jesus is telling him what Jesus already knew about this man. Jesus knew that this man kept all the commandments. So he was reciting to this guy, you're well on your way. He says here, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? See, Jesus knew that. That's why he, he laid it all out. And Jesus answered him, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. Now Jesus was not saying that you have to sell all your possessions to come to him. Jesus knew that this man's possessions were more important to him than anything else. He knew that following the commandments was easy for this guy because this guy was an upstanding, outstanding, moral man. This man was a religious man. Jesus knew all of those things. That's why he laid all of those things out. Jesus knew what he was going to say. I've done all these things. What is the one thing I'm lacking? And Jesus appealed to what was the most important thing in his life. And Jesus basically said, he was saying to him, it's either those things or me. And look at verse 22. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. The Bible literally teaches us he hung his head low and he walked away from Jesus because of his great wealth. In other words, his possessions, his wealth, and all that it afforded him were more important to him than selling out and giving his life to Christ. See, Jesus knows what we need to hear when we need to hear it. Now look at the rest of this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now let me stop right here and just ask you this question. Why is that? Why is it hard for a rich man to, to enter the kingdom of heaven? I'm, gl I'm glad you asked. What was that, David? It's their God. I'll tell you why. It becomes so overwhelming. If you're rich, you've got to spend most of your time taking care of your stuff. <laughs> taking care of your stuff. Making your money work for you. Making your money grow for you. And you don't have time for God in your life. And Jesus knew that. 
Again, in verse 24, it says, Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So was Jesus saying that it is impossible for a rich man to go to heaven? No. He was saying that it's almost impossible, but with God all things are possible. And then Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Now before I let you sit down, I encountered a rich man like this not long ago. He walked into my office. And he pronounced to me what kind of home he was going to build. The land that he was buying. And what he was going to do with the rest of his life. And in this gigantic home that he was building, he says, and I'm not going to be there a whole lot because I have another home somewhere else that I'm going to be spending time at. And then I asked him about spiritual things, and he told me, with all due respect, Pastor, I don't have time for church and all that goes with it. I would imagine that the man that Jesus encountered here was much like the man that I encountered a few months ago. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray for the man that I just mentioned. You know who he is. And I pray that I would continue to have an open relationship with him. That unlike this man in the Bible, that this rich man (coughs) would one day recognize his need for a Savior. And I pray for everyone who is in this building today that if they do not know you and they have not truly given their heart to you, that they would. Thank you for the life of Billy Graham. Thank you for his testimony. And thank you for the many, many lives who were changed for eternity because of him and because of his obedience to you. And help us to be that same kind of obedient Christian in our own way. With our own responsibilities. And what you've called us to. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you notice this story. You see a man who had it all. A man who was wealthy. And the story is not really complicated. Jesus knew his heart. He knew what was important to him. He knew that this man had a good moral foundation. He knew this man had a good religious foundation. I didn't say spiritual foundation, but a religious foundation. And Jesus laid it all out. And the guy astonishingly said, you know, I'm doing all that. But he still knew in his heart that he lacked something. There's one thing you lack. And the thing that he lacked was that he was unwilling To give Christ control of his life. It's a very simple concept. I'm not necessarily sure that Christ would have demanded of him that he sell everything. But Christ would have probably, not probably, I know that he made the demand that I become your Lord. And then I can do some amazing things with the things that you have. 
And so there are demands that the gospel places on us. In the day in which we live, we have a lot of preachers and teachers who want to preach what I call this easy believism and just say, just just confess Jesus and then live any way you want to. But that's not the gospel. And the gospel is good news. It's the good news that Jesus Christ came, died, and rose again and has a new life for us if we'll give our hearts to Him and give, by faith, our lives to Him. So I want to talk about three demands that the gospel places on us. Number one, the gospel demands a response. The gospel demands a response. Billy Graham would say it this way. The gospel demands that you make a decision. Every human being, when presented with the gospel, will respond one way or the other. Look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 22. We read it just a minute ago. But here was the response of the rich man. He said, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He heard the presentation of the gospel. He heard what Christ demanded of him. And he chose to go away lost and sad. He responded The gospel demands that of you and me. It demands a response. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says this. The Bible says, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For He says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation salvation in other words when we are presented with the clear gospel the good news of christ that you and i are sinners we're hopelessly lost without him and we need him and we need to put our faith and trust in him in order not just to go to heaven but in order to have a personal relationship with him in order for our life to have fulfillment and meaning we are confronted with the demands of the gospel and it elicits A response. You must respond. And everybody responds. One way or the other. You either respond to the call of God and you do it now. You do it while God is dealing with you. When is the day of salvation? When you're presented with with the truth of the gospel and you have a decision to make. Am I going to give my life to Christ? And am I going to sell out? That's what Jesus was telling this rich young ruler. He was saying, you've got to sell out your heart to me. I've got to be the most important thing to you. Because when He is, there is nothing in this world and in this life more important than Him. Yesterday we had a wedding here. And I made a statement that I... That I, it just didn't come out right. But we're talking about in the wedding, the, the vows that they shared with each other were very moving to me. And I've done many weddings before. And what I meant to say was uh, these are some of the most beautiful vows that I've ever heard in a wedding. And I had two or three couples sitting out there have done their weddings before. And, and then Jake said when I was saying something, man, these vows are amazing. This wedding I've done. And he goes, yeah, this is the best wedding ever. And I kind of went, oh, yeah, okay, I guess. And, uh, and then I had two or three uh, approach me after the church and said, so my wedding wasn't that good? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way. But one of the things that I got out of, out of what was being said, both of them had tremendous vows. Jacob's vows came from a heart and a place where, you know, he's orphaned. His mother passed away. His dad passed away recently. And his new bride is the kind of woman that his mother always wanted him to marry and to find in his life. And he explained that in his vows. She said in her vows, she said, Jacob, whoops, Jacob, I don't know why this is kind of where the vows are. Jacob, you are not more important than God in my life. God is first. And I thought about it because we didn't explain it. And I thought about someone who doesn't understand the Christian concept and Christian ethic. If somebody was like, well, how can that be? Think of the triangle. Okay. Think of the triangle. I don't know what you call the two points there at the bottom, but up here is the apex, right? The triangle. All right? So up here and here. So at the bottom corners, you have husband and you have wife. And at the top, you have God. And as 
the husband and wife put God first in their life, what happens to them? They get closer. They draw closer to Him. So when Jesus says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you follow me. When Jesus says, I want to be the most important in your life. When He says here in verse 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Is Jesus saying that you need to throw your family away and get rid of them? That's not what He's saying. What He's saying is that compared to me, I've got to be the most important thing in your heart and life first. And then if I'm first, then you can truly love your spouse like you ought to. Then you can truly be the father or the mother that you ought to be. And so many human beings don't quite understand that. And Jesus is saying in the Gospel, when He gives us the call of the Gospel to us, when it comes out to us, He's saying He makes a demand. And it, 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 it requires a response. Who's going to be the most important in your life? Listen, I don't want to be the most important thing in Penny's life. That would scare me. Because I'm a sinner. I'm a saint who's been saved. And positionally, I belong to Christ, but I still have the old man in me that battles from time to time. And here's the other thing. She is not to worship me because I am not her God. I am her husband, and that's different. And I want her to have God first in her life because I know that if God is first in her life, she will be the wife that God wants her to be. And vice versa. So the gospel demands a response. Have you ever truly responded to God? Is there something more important to you than Him in your life? I had a man when at my home church. As a matter of fact, they grew up next door to me, and they had... Three children, two boys and a girl. Our family, we had three children at the time. We ended up having baby si- mom and dad had a baby sister later. But, but at that time, it was, and we were all the same age. We had, you know, we had two boys and one girl, and, and it just matched their family almost identical. We became close friends. They moved away to a different home, different neighborhood, but we stayed friends. And when we all got saved, we started reaching out to them. And the father of, 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 of those children came and he met with my pastor and this guy was a tugboat captain okay tugboat captains make a lot of money and at the time tugboat captains were doing some illegal things not all of them but some of them and it still goes on today that that so when at the end of a job you have all this diesel in your tugboat okay and the company that, that you're working for has already paid for it. Then what you do is you turn around and you sell it to other people. Illegally. And, and, and you offload it in different places. In the Gulf and different, different other places. So this tugboat captain was making huge kickbacks from illegally selling diesel. And when confronted with the gospel by my pastor, he said, you know, pastor, he said, he said, I believe in everything you're saying. I believe mentally in Jesus Christ and I know I need him. But if I give my life to him, will he require me to quit doing these, uh, to, to quit selling diesel illegally? And the pastor said, of course he's going to demand that of you. He's going to demand you to live a righteous life. And he looked with sadness in his eyes and he said, then I can never accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And he walked away lost. And to this day, I do not think he's ever received Christ as his Savior. The gospel demands a response. Yet on the other side of that, many, many times people have been confronted with the gospel of Jesus and it becomes a no-brainer. I'm going to give you my life and give it to you all. You say, preacher, why are you saying this? Aren't we all Christians here? 
Billy Graham said, of, said it himself about 20 to 30 years ago that he believed that a high percentage of the average person in the pew back at that time in the average church were lost. They were religious, but they have never sold out and given their hearts to Christ. They have what this rich man has. And you say, well, we're not rich. Let me tell you something. We are rich compared to all of the world. All of us here in America. We have a whole lot more than everybody else in this world. I know things cost a lot more here and on and on and on. And there's a certain lifestyle in order to get to work. You've got to be able to have this and you've got to have that and all of that. I get it. I understand all of that. But we are wealthy compared to the rest of the world. And what we have in a lot of churches is a lot of wealthy religious people who are not committed to Jesus. Now, I think we have a lot of Christians here in this church who belong to God, but it would be dereliction of duty for me as a Christian and as a pastor to think that everybody in this building today is 100% saved and, and sold out to Christ. And there could be some of you, you've truly, truly, you've never sold out to Him. And today, you've got to make a decision. Second thing that the gospel demands. The demands of the gospel. The gospel demands a life change. The gospel demands a life change. 2 Corinthians 5.17. My favorite verse. And I'm just saying in case my family forgets. uh, I don't want anything on on my tombstone other than my name. If you want to put the year I was born, the year I died, that's fine. But this is the verse I want. This is the verse I want. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Or in New King James it says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. You are a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Or in the King James, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. And one little boy one time was reciting that verse, and he said to his mom, I learned a new verse in Sunday school today, mama. And it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new preacher. Instead of creature. He's a new creature. We are new creations. And in in a way, maybe that's true. Maybe he's right. Maybe, yeah, we are a new creation or a new preacher. If anyone is in Christ, he is new. You're new. You're made brand new on the inside, just like a baby. Your sins are washed away. Put into the sea of God's forgetfulness. The Bible says it like this. God takes our sins and He puts our sins as far as the east is from the west. And I'm just, just, just try this one time and see if it works for you. Start going one direction. Start going west. And just keep going west the rest of your life and see if you'll ever go east. If you start traveling west and you go all the way around the world and you keep traveling west and you keep traveling west the rest of your life, you will never go east. God has put our sins as far as the east is from the west. In other words, it's it's beyond anything that our human minds can comprehend. That's how far away our sins are from Him. He didn't just cover our sins. He's washed them away. The Bible says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And so the gospel demands a life change. If you can encounter Christ, and you can become a Christian, and He can save you, and your life doesn't change in your behavior, in your heart, in your spirit, then you never receive the gospel or the God of the Bible. Because He changes you. Never to be the same again. And this garbage that's being being taught and preached, that all God wants you to do is be happy, and all you got to do is just believe a few things about Him and then live any way you want to, that's garbage. It's wrong. I had a young lady confront me a couple of months ago outside of church because I said something in church about, about, about homosexuality. And I said that it was a disgusting lifestyle and it was wrong. And she came and she asked if she could speak with me. And I said, yes, you may. And we stood outside on on the cement pad out there. 
And she said, do you with disgust really believe what you said about that? And I said, I absolutely do. But I said, hear me out what I'm telling you is that all sexual sin is the same in God's eyes. And it's disgusting to God. The way I used to live before I became a Christian was disgusting to God. It's wrong. And I said, there's only, there's only one proper sexual expression. And that's between one man and one woman in marriage. That's it. And it's not only right, it's clean, it's godly, it's undefiled. That's it. That's the only kind of sexual expression. And she goes, well, I can't come back to this church because, because my God is a God of love, is what she said. And I said, nowhere did I say that we didn't love people. I said, God loves us all. God, thank God He loved me. Thank God He loves us all. And I was very kind to her. And I said, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I said, but I want to thank you. And she said, why? And I said, I want to thank you because I said, if you can have your belief system about what you believe about those things, and not be uncomfortable coming to this church, I have not done my job properly. And I want to thank you for confirming to me that I'm preaching the truth. Amen. And I said that, and I, and I told her, and I said, the door will always be open to you. And I was just speaking, I, my voice got lower and lower. I just wanted to, to take the tone down and just let her know that I understand that you have a different viewpoint and a different belief system. But I'm here today to tell you, folks, listen. You sleeping around? God saves you. It's unacceptable to continue to sleep around. Your life changes. You can't keep living that way. You can't. You can't. You're married to one woman or to one man, and you're having an affair. It's not affair. It's called adultery. It's sin. And if God saves you, you cannot continue to live that way. There is a life change that takes place if you're in a homosexual or lesbian lifestyle and you get saved the gospel demands a life change you cannot continue to live that way because it's sinful and it's wrong just like all the other sexual sins if you give your life to christ and you get saved and i'm going back to this and i say it every service and you have unforgiveness in your heart towards someone you cannot continue to live that way you have been changed the gospel demands a life change you can't keep living that way if you have a filthy mouth and god saves you you can't continue to talk that way god's going to deal with you listen I still struggle with that every now and then. And I tell you, it, it, and so, there are some witnesses in this building. We were doing a baptism several years ago on a Sunday night. Somebody put a fake mouse in my, in my waders. And I stuck my foot in there and I pulled my foot out and I saw it. And an expletive wreck came out of my mouth. And that should not have happened. And it's wrong. And, and what I'm getting at is this, is that I knew it when I said it, and I knew it was wrong, and I knew that it should not come out of, of my mouth. It's not what goes into a man, but what comes out of him that defiles him, the Bible says, because I'm a Christian now, and that's not the way I should continue to talk. The gospel demands a life change. Before I was saved, I was selfish. It was all about me. I could no longer keep doing the same thing once I got saved. Prior to getting saved, I used to go to a fountain to bury my sorrows, the few sorrows that I had at the time. But you know, sometimes as teenagers, we're so self-absorbent that we think life is all about us and the world revolves around us. And so for me, it was alcohol. But when God saved me and changed me, He cleansed my life of needing that stuff to fix me. The gospel demands a life change. And in this day and time, just saying you're a Christian is not sufficient enough. True Christians exhibit their salvation through the way they live, the way they treat others, how they respond to the gospel, how they respond to the world. 
and how they live their lives. There is a change. And I know we're living in a society where everything is supposed to be accepted, but I'm telling you, some things are wrong, and they'll continue to be wrong until until Christ comes back, and they'll still be wrong then. In other words, sin is sin, and right is right. Whether I do it or not, whether my children do it or not, whether people I love do it or not, it's wrong. And when a person gets saved, the gospel demands a life change. And number three, the demands of the gospel. The gospel demands a witness. A witness. Oh, look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 15. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. So he says here, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Now check this out, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. Notice in verse 14 it says, Christ's love Love compels us. We are compelled to share the gospel. It is my responsibility to be a witness and not be ashamed. I'll tell you, if one thing about Billy Graham's passing has re-inspired me again, and that is, and that is this, get more vocal about it to your friends and to your family and talk to them about it and 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 the people that you are connected with and that are in your life and quit just trying to live it in front of them but at some point talk to them about the gospel talk to them about their need for a savior talk to them about the fact that they're going to die and where are they going to spend eternity and you know what you might say well pastor people are going to be mean and ugly to me who cares you can't go to sleep after that or are you also a marshmallow or a snowflake We're Christians. Onward Christian soldiers marching us to war with the cross of Jesus going before us. I've got to care more about their souls than what they might think or not think of me. And you know what? Listen, I'm telling you. Maybe maybe it's because I just turned 52 last week and, and now I don't care. But I really don't care what people think of me anymore because I found out that people are going to think what they want no matter what you do or don't do. They're just going to do it. And I don't live my life for what people think. I live my life for what God knows and what God has said. And so I'm more inspired than ever to tell the story. You'll be surprised at how many people want to know. And, and you may not lead them to Christ there. And you, I'm not saying you've got to take your Bible and go to work and start preaching and beating everybody over the head with the Bible. But I'm just telling you, at the right moments in the right time, you'll be surprised how you can share the gospel. <clears throat> last Sunday, Penny and I went, got, had a chance to go fishing after church, and we got out of there. It was dark. Sunday afternoon, coming back from Noonan's Lake, I knew that, you know, uh, I knew Gator baseball game was over, so the traffic shouldn't be too bad. So I said, ah, we're going to come right up to good. We're going to come right through university and come that way rather than going to back roads. Furthermore, I wanted a Wendy's hamburger, and I didn't want just any Wendy's hamburger. I wanted a Baconator. But because I'm trying to kind of keep my weight down, I, I went with the, with the son of a baconator. It's hard to say, son of a baconator. It's, it's, it's still a bacon double cheeseburger, but it's smaller. Kind of makes you feel better, but man, it's so good. I just, gosh, I love that hamburger. Anyway, so we stop at the one across from the Oaks Mall, you know, real busy place. Pulled the truck in with the boat behind the pawn shop there, and it's a penny... I like it. I said, Pick, you stay in the truck, woman. I, I like saying that, too. Y'all can see my black eye is just starting to heal. But, I, but anyway, she stayed in the truck. I went to get us what we needed to get. And I walked in there, and there were these people 
working there. Can I give you a word of advice? Always be kind to the people that cook your food and serve your food. Always be kind to them. I don't care if they're not kind to you. I don't care if the service is bad. Deal with it after you eat. That's something my mom and daddy taught me years ago. Always be nice to people. Give them a reason to do well with your food. So I walked in there. I'm just happy. I said, hey, everybody, how y'all doing? Y'all having a good day? And I'm just not talking to the lady that ordered my, that took my order. I'm talking to, to, the, to the guy who's mopping the floor. I'm talking to the one who's frying the fries, to the guy who's putting the pickles on my hamburger. They can all see me, and I'm looking at them. And, and she goes, yeah, I'm having a good day. I said, well, that's good to hear. I said, has anybody been, and I'm loud, okay? I said, has anybody been mean or ugly to you today? Nope. I said, well, we're not going to start that trend right now, okay? And she goes, well, good. And I said, I said, I just want you to know, has anybody ever said to you that they love you today? She said, nope. I said, I'll be the first one. I love you. And I know you're wondering how I can say, I love you. I'm a Christian, and because Christ's love compels me, I just want you to know I love you. I love you because you're a fellow human being in the Lord. By that time, I had two people that had stopped, and they were, the guy with the mop was just like, is this guy for real? <laughs> and the person with the fries was holding the fry thing. I think the fries were burning, and they were just kind of looking at me like, like, who is this nut job? And I said, I love you in Jesus' name. And I just want you to know, thank you for what you do. Thank you for serving my food. Thank you for working hard and making sure that you, you put out a good product and a good meal because I'm going to enjoy every bit, bit of it. And I just want you to know, no matter what's going on in your life, man, you can turn to God and turn to Jesus. Now, now I know, I don't know them from Adam. I don't have a relationship built up with them. But I'm telling you what, I wanted to be a witness that day. And I'm not always the best witness. I'm not always the best witness. But I want to be. Because that's what the gospel demands. That's what it demands. And how will they hear unless someone tells them? And how will they know unless we make an investment in people and try to have a conversation with them? This gospel demands us to be witnesses. Your life is a testimony every day on what's important to you and how you live. It's a testimony to people that are watching. And trust me, they are. People are watching. They know that you go to church. They know if you claim to be a Christian or not. They know if you, you know, stand up for what's right, but yet live differently on your own. They know it. They know if you're a hypocrite or not. They know if they've seen you make, make a mistake or sin, and they know how you dealt with it, if you dealt with it in the right way. The gospel demands a witness. This rich young ruler we read about, it demanded a response, and he responded in the wrong way. It demanded a, demanded a life change. He was unwilling to allow God to change his life. And unfortunately, he was a witness. And to this day, he's a witness of, of a wasted life. I said this in my Sunday school class, but I'll say it to you, and, I, and I'll close with this. Listen to me. I was watching Fox and Friends in the morning one morning, the day after Billy Graham passed away, and obviously they bringing in people to talk about him and you know, all kinds of tributes pouring in. And in the same segment, so as soon as they were finished with that, then they, they segued and changed and they started playing Wasting Away Again in Margaritaville. I know you know the song, by the way, I just sang it because I, I, I sound just like Jimmy Buffett. Okay, and, and, and listen, don't misunderstand what I'm telling you. I like some of that style of music. It reminds me of wanting to go to the beach and just forgetting life and relaxing and all of that. But... I thought, so they just finished talking about Billy, Billy Graham, a man who didn't waste his life, and they end the segment with a song talking about wasting your life. <laughs> and I'm like, 
am I the only one that sees stuff like this? And I thought about it for a moment, and I said, you know, that's really the difference in the gospel. You can respond to the gospel by putting your faith and trust in Christ. It doesn't mean you don't get to rest. It doesn't mean that you don't get to kick back with lemonade or iced tea or water. And I know that there are some people that, okay, they, they might have a drink here or there. I don't have that, and there's a lot of reasons why. But what I am saying to you is that do you want your life to be a Margaritaville life? Wasting away again. I'm not put on this earth to waste away. And to wash my life away with rum. I'm saved to bring as many people with me. To make an influence on people's lives. To be a witness. Don't waste your life. It's already going by. Coach Pritchard and I talk about this, uh, you know, all the time. Last week on the Saints, your birthday, you're 52. He said, man, you're, you're just around past Crestview. You see, see, Crestview, Florida is the halfway point between here and my hometown and my mom and dad's driveway. Crestview, 300 miles. Halfway. And I've often stated this. See, as I'm going toward Louisiana... I'm past Mobile right now in my life. Okay? I've lived a whole lot longer than I'm going to live on the other side of 52 years of age. I ain't living to be 104. I'm too dumb. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something stupid. I, I, you know, I... I Whatever. I don't know. Surely I'm not going to live to be 99 years old like Billy Graham. But the life that I do have, what I do have. See, see, I'm past Crestview. I'm past Mobile. I'm, I'm getting close to home. And I didn't want my early life to be wasted. And I certainly don't want what I got left to be wasted. And I hope you don't either. The gospel demands a response. Would you stand with me? Let's quietly stand with our heads bowed right where you are. I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. Very strong evangelistic message today. Is there somebody in this place that would be honest with God and yourself and say, and, and to me, and you would say, Pastor, God, not, not me, God, but Pastor and to my God, God, I've never sold out to you. I'm more like the rich man, caring more about my things and my life and my demands than you. I'd like to give my life to you today. Would there be anybody here? Nobody's going to come point you out. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to call your name out. Would you raise your hand so I can see it? Okay, I see that. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else would be honest and say, I need to give my life to Christ right now. Okay. For those of you who have raised your hand, let me say this to you. You've come to the right place at the right time. You're at the right moment. And God says, now and today is the day of salvation. If you will call out to Him right where you are and say, God, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I've been confronted with the gospel today and I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says to as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. So by faith, I receive you today, dear Lord. And I'm seeking after you to become the Lord of, of my life. Right here, right now, I'm telling you, if you prayed that and you mean it, and it's, it's serious, God just saved you and changed you. The simple message that Billy Graham 
preached throughout the world, 210 million people, is the same message being given and delivered to you today. And in the same invitation, you just come the way you are. Right where you are, God's saved you and changed you. And I'm going to ask you in just a moment, when I stand here at the front and we begin to sing as a congregation, that if you pray to receive that, to receive Christ as your Savior, and you meant business with Him, to sell out to Him, I'm going to ask you to come to me down here and I want to talk with you for just a moment. Don't be afraid and don't be ashamed. And then for you who are Christians, maybe God's dealt with you today about life change about being that witness, about totally being sold out to Him. Today's the day. Billy Graham talked about this. That there was a time later in his life, long after he'd been preaching all over the world, that he, was, he got sick really bad and he was confronted with his own death. And he was reminded of the sinner that he was without Christ. And he, though he said, I know I was a Christian, I once again reached out to God and said, God... Please bring peace to my heart and comfort that I really belong to you. And God answered his prayer and he says from that day on, again, he was reassured by the Father of where he stood with God because of that moment in his life in North Carolina when he was a 17-year-old young man when he gave his life to Christ. We need reassurances sometimes as Christians. We need our Father to hold us and to remind us, oh, I love you. And yes, I forgive you. And yes, you can come home to me right now and I'll still use you. This altar will be open to you. I pray that you would allow God to work in your heart. Father, we pray right now that we would respond to the Gospel. We would respond to your call. And we prayed in Christ's name.